The following is a presentation of the Treasure Island Baseball Network. This is your weekly fix of everything Minnesota Twins with all the news, moves, and more. It's the Twins Hot Stove Show, presented by Killebrew Root Beer, made in Minnesota. It's how memories are created and legends are made. Here's the host of the Hot Stove Show, Chris Atterbury. Well, welcome back to another edition of the Twins Hot Stove Show, and uh, we need it here in the upper Midwest between the uh, one-two punches of snowstorms and the cold temperatures. Uh, it is a great day to think about the fact that pitchers and catchers reported today in Fort Myers, Florida. A little rainy in Fort Myers, but you know what? It's not snowing and they're not shoveling, and baseball at long last is here. Of course, our show is brought to you by Killebrew Root Beer, made in Minnesota, how memories are created and legends are made. We're going to make some memories here tonight as Derek Shelton will join us. We'll talk about the opening of camp, his uh, uh, many duties uh, in regards to structuring the Twin Spring Camp. We'll hear from Jim Cott. Big news today, Jim Cott returning to broadcast games for the Minnesota Twins this year. And we'll hear from the legendary Jim Cott as well as part of our program. Also have three cuts. And, of course, we'll announce the winner of our What's Brewing contest. But let's start with Derek Shelton, kind enough to join us today from Soggy Fort Myers, Florida, the Twins bench coach. Second year with the club. And, uh, Derek Shelton, you have a, a lot of responsibility when it comes to spring training in terms of putting camp together. I'm not sure that fans can possibly understand all the backlog of work that goes into orchestrating what amounts to a, not a three-ring circus, a a ten-ring circus of people making sure that everybody's in the right place at the right time. At what point of the offseason do you begin putting together uh, a plan uh, for the day-to-day activities in spring training? Well, you know, Chris, this this offseason was a little bit different with with us having a new staff and and a new manager, and we've actually kind of reformatted the uh, the spring training schedule and how we're and how we're doing it. So started a little bit earlier, probably right after the new year, Rocco and I started talking about how we were going to do it and how we were going to format it. And, you know, I came up with a very tentative format for it. And then Sean Harlan, who runs our uh, video and technology actually designed the format of it. And then I started to, to implement it, but essentially from probably the first week of January, it's a daily conversation between myself and Rocco and then Wes Johnson and half on the pitching side and James Rawson on the hitting side and kind of going through, you know, the different plans of what we're going to do. Rocco said that literally he would talk to you multiple times every day throughout the course of the offseason. He said when his phone would buzz, it was one Derek or the other. And I would think in that sort of an environment, the, the, the fact that you guys have some history together certainly makes that easier. Yeah, it, it definitely makes it, it it's easier. It's funny that he says that because my nine-year-old Gianna, that every time I'd be on the phone, she'd walk by and say, are you talking to Rocco? <laughs> so, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think I think it was easier because, number one, we have we have a very similar vision of how spring training should be run, and, and the fact that we've been friends for, you know, going on 10 years now makes, you know, the transition completely with his job, my job, but especially with spring training, you know, very easy and you know, yesterday we were able to run a meeting and with with all of our field staff, and it was interesting because I think we thought we had everything covered, and then you get into specific you know positional areas, and guys start to bring up really good thoughts. So we had a really good meeting yesterday, and I'm spending today kind of tweaking you know some of the thoughts that our staff had. Now we'll get to more of, of some of the folks on the staff and the way they're going to go about their business, but uh, I want to talk first and foremost about some of the theories about spring training. I had a great chance to to chat with Rocco at length over Caravan. We're cooped up on the bus just about how spring training is a bit of this white whale out there in terms of figuring out the optimal way 
to do it. You know, teams have kind of been doing it similarly for a long, long time, and maybe we don't always ask the questions why. And I know Rocco's big on not wasting time, not having people just standing around when they don't need to be standing around, not necessarily having to get up with the Roosters in the morning. Are those some of the elements that we'll see in play this year? Yeah, I think what we've seen with some organizations, four or five organizations the last couple of years was changing the, the start time of, of spring training. It was one of those things where everybody thought it had to be an early morning thing. And then you start to talk about just on the physicality side of it, you know, we're asking guys to perform certain activities that early in the morning that we would never ask them to do during the season. And it really doesn't translate. So I think the first thing you would see if you come down to Fort Myers is the day is going to start a little bit later and, the second thing is, is we're going to try to be more efficient with our time. And, you know, we try, we started to implement that a little bit last year where there, if you come to spring training, you see that there's a lot of standing around and we're trying to avoid that, you know, not only for efficiency of time, but, you know, with injuries, because the longer you stand around, the longer you get tight. So if we're more efficient and we have more movement, then there's going to be, you know, definitely a situation where we're going to get more done. And, and then on the second side of that, the one thing we, we have kind of implemented this year, and I, I think probably I'm sensitive to it being an ex-catcher and, and Bill Evers being on the staff being a catcher is we're having the catchers hit before they do anything else. And it's something that, you know, in the past, if, if you've ever been to spring training and watched catchers, at the end of the day is when they hit and they've done all their other work and they're really tired. So we're, we're trying to make it where they're fresher, they're hitting earlier in the morning and, and doing some things that way. You know, that calls to mind a story Kurt Suzuki told me, his first big league camp with the A's. He said there were only three catchers in camp. He was the new guy. He caught all the time, and by the end of the day when he was putting his glove down, they're like, hey, everybody's gone. Cages are closed. He had to literally hit on his own if he even wanted to get any swings. So that is a big change uh, in terms of how things have been done for a long time. You mentioned some of the personalities, and this is a great bunch, and I think you guys uh, have a real cohesion despite the fact that as a unit you haven't been together uh, until this year all, all as one group. A unique situation with you and Rocco and James in that you all interviewed – not only for the job Rocco eventually got here with the Twins, but for several managerial jobs. And I'll ask you, what did you learn through that process? Because that is a really, really intensive process, the various interviews that you were a part of. And, and what was your biggest takeaway from, from some of those experiences? Well, I think my biggest takeaway is what organizations are looking for and the preparation you have to have going into the managerial job. And, you know, I think a lot of people think that, the, our view of the managerial job is just the person that, that runs the game from 7 o'clock until 10 o'clock that night. And the way organizations are getting progressive in the thought processes of what they want on their staff, it, it, it entails a lot more. And it entails the ability to communicate and collaborate, you know, not only with staffs from, you know, the minor leagues and the front office, but also with your players. Because, the, you know, the game is changing in terms of the knowledge the players have you know, from being able to access it, whether it's online, from, uh, you know, people they, they work with in the off season, and, and I think you have to be – it has to be fluid in terms of your conversation with, with not only the players but the staff in the front office. And I, I think when you start to prepare for that process, uh, it, it really opens your eyes. And then, you know, managerial processes are not an easy thing. They're not like you go in and you – you know, in our situation, you don't go in and talk to Derek and Thad. You meet, you know, with – people for you know eight or nine hours and there's five or six subsets of groups with different questions and then if you're fortunate enough to to you know go into the second round you meet with a second group of people and you talk about a, a wide variety or wide ranging of things so I think that really opened my eyes to the 
the magnitude and the scope of what uh, you know what the expectation of a managerial candidate yeah. or manager is, and would have to make you even better at your job, I would think, in terms of having that experience and uh, and that exposure to some different ideas. And you were already pretty good at it, so I think that bodes well, Derek. Uh, Derek Shelton Thank is the you, Twins guy. bench coach. Uh, I want to talk to you about Wes Johnson. He is a dynamo. So much so that he was bouncing around here during Twins Fest. You barely got a chance to talk to him. So much of the work he's done uh, focuses around training methodologies, and we can increase velocity and this and that. And, and, and he's an incredibly progressive and open-minded guy, and he grinds away uh, at a lot of work. How much of that can be done in spring training, and how much of the full scope of Wes Johnson will we not even fully be able to gauge until almost a full offseason of Wes Johnson, if, if you understand where I'm going? Yeah, I, I think so. I think, you know, you put it best. He, he's definitely a high-energy guy. High energy, extremely positive, which, you know, when you're a hitting coach or a pitching coach, you, you have to be in that role because a, a lot of the game in, in that space is based on failure or guys, you know, struggling. So the fact of his energy and, and being so positive, I think, is definitely going to be helpful. I really think the, the fact that he and Jimmy Hefner – you know, went out this off season and talked to different pitchers and started to develop relationships was really important because of the fact that it's, you know, spring training's long, but there's a trust factor. And when we start to play games after 10 days, you know, these guys have to trust what, what Wes and Heffer are, are talking, talking to them about and, and selling to them. So I think the fact that they, they did that is important. And then on the second part of that is I think we will start to see the effects of it as the year goes on. You know, and I think the the more time he spends with guys, the more we'll see it. But in terms of like biomechanics or progression, when you sit and listen to him talk, it's almost like he's talking a foreign language. And the only person I've probably ever heard that's as well versed on it that way is Derek Falvey. And uh, you know, the way he's able to look, at the, the way Wes is able to look at different things and talk about carrier velo or access or vertical approach, all you know, all those things. Uh, I think he he separates himself, and I think we're fortunate that. Uh, you know, he decided to come on board. That's the voice of bench coach Derek Shelton joining us here on the Twins Hot Stove Show. Time for a winner. Let's make you a winner. Let's deliver you a case of Killer Brew Root Beer made in Minnesota. How memories are created and legends are made. We call it our What's Brewing competition. Our question last week to you, no matter how you digest our program, what Twins prospect who does not make the opening day roster will have the biggest impact over the course of the season? We got a lot of great responses, ranging from Nick Gordon to Brent Rooker to Stephen Gonsalves, but we go with Ben, who is at that Ranger dude. Ben said, Fernando Romero may not break camp with the big league club, but it won't take long for him to get called up and stay in the show as a starter or reliever throwing 100-mile-per-hour bullets. His arm will have a huge impact on team success. So for that take, Ben, you are the winner of our What's Brewing competition, and uh, be on the lookout for a nice chilled uh, case of Killebrew Root Beer products on your front doorstep if you'd like to join ben in the winner's circle it's easy enough we've got uh pitchers and catchers already in camp by the time we talk with you next week well we'll have the full team in camp and our question to you whether you have the chance to get down to spring training this year have in the past or just wish you could go what is your favorite aspect of spring training from a fan's perspective when you're in Fort Myers? For some of us in the studio, well, for Drew, he likes to watch the guys work in the batting cage, the uh, big league guys just outside the clubhouse. I like to wander over to the minor league side. Gino likes to watch the guys run laps on the field during spring training games, during active play. 
He's kind of old school that way. What is your favorite thing to do as you attend spring training? Tweet us at Twins Radio, hashtag Twins Radio. It's our What's Brewing competition. You've got a chance to win a case of Killebrew Root Beer. In the meantime, stay right where you are. When we come back, Jim Cott right here on your home for Twins Baseball. Jim Cott is with us here, one of uh, our favorites to catch up with the Twins Fest. And, Jim, I'm going to start with the cool news, and that is that Twins fans won't have to wait till next Twins Fest or turn on the MLB Network alone to see you because – very thrilled to announce that you're going to be back on the airwaves calling some Twins games again this year. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. Uh, be back with Dick Bremer and, and of course, uh, announcing to the audience up here in the Midwest that I had the privilege of doing for six years back in the late 80s, early 90s. And Dave St. Peter was nice enough to uh, begin the dialogue actually last year and said, would you be interested in doing a few games on TV? So I'll do... Uh, a few of the series on the East Coast, which is where I live in the summer, so it's uh, nice travel. You know, it's not stressful travel for me, and uh, I'm excited about it. Yeah, I think a lot of people are very excited about that, and uh, uh, we've said it many times. Probably a guy who needs to be in Cooperstown in the players' side and in the frick side is uh, is Jim Cott. So we can't control that today, but let's talk about baseball because there's something about this event that gets you geared up and ready to go. And uh, I know just walking around, Jim, there's a there's a palpable positive energy in this room the last couple of days. Yeah, there really is. It's going to be interesting uh, because I think there's there's a lot of fan pressure this year and media pressure, I think, for the Twins. Is that, you know, they're kind of looking for something better than happened uh, last year in particular. So, But the, uh, the young players, the young talent that they have, uh, they're not carrying a lot of baggage from losing seasons or anything like that. So... And I think it's sort of cliche-ish, but I think it would be rather critical for the Twins to get off to a, a nice start in that central division. But uh, I think the Twins Fest, a combination of the fans and the players, uh, we got the Super Bowl coming up. But other than that, it's like it's baseball season. You know, pitchers and catchers report in uh, less than three weeks. So uh, players and fans are kind of hyped up about it. Will you be back at spring training again, roaming around and uh, sharing some insights? Well, I'm, I'm scheduled to go there in the middle of March uh, for the sponsors' dinner, and then I spend the day at the ballpark. I had a nice chat uh, with uh, with Wes Johnson, the new pitching coach, and some of Rocco's staff. And if they want me to hang around and uh, talk with the pitchers or schmooze around, I'm happy to do that. I'm not. Uh, I think Bert is there for a two-week period of time. I'm not scheduled to do that, but certainly I'm I'm open to doing that. Two weeks of Bert, man. Those guys are going to need some sort of uh, <laughs> some sort of ability to come down. Is it funny? Like I I watch, and it's probably my favorite part of Twins Fest is not even being outside, but just wandering into a room and seeing you and Bert and Tony, and I feel like I'm eavesdropping on a conversation. That started in 1971 and is probably just still going on. Yeah, it is amazing how you you come back to these reunions and uh, you know we can't remember what we were supposed to do yesterday, but we can remember what pitch we threw the Mickey Mantle 45 years ago, <laughs> and then one story leads to another, and uh, that's one of the real uh, things that I enjoy about still being involved in the game. Uh, when a player's career ends, I've heard it countless times that the thing they miss is the camaraderie in the clubhouse. You know, the stories that are... And so it's like a big class reunion every time you get to get back with the guys like Tony and Bert and uh, and the rest of the former twins. I think it's funny because a lot of hand-wringing every year, and not just recently, but 
probably since the dead ball era about all oh, the games changed it's ruined it was something and now it's completely different and yet it's a game that is constantly changed and it's a game of adapting and the game itself adapts and i think back to johnny saying a guy who was integral in your career but who was seen by some of the more conventional guys back then as being a crazy man with these wild ideas and now Wes johnson gets hired and people are like well there's no way he can know anything about pitching and he's way well, he doesn't do it the way everybody else does and yet it takes all kinds, doesn't it? It really does. I think it, it takes, from a coach's standpoint, uh, first of all, you have to have the blessing of the organization. When you Like when I coached for Pete Rose, I said, Pete, I really believe in the four-man rotation, and I'd like to implement that. I've got some strong ideas, and if they don't work with you, I really shouldn't take the job. He said, I don't know anything about pitching. I know what you do what you want. So I had freedom to do that. And uh, then, then it takes trust of the pitchers that what you're doing is in their best interest, and that's a challenge every coach has. But uh, I think that the front office has a lot of confidence in Rocco and that they've put the staff together. So it'll, it'll kind of be interesting to see uh, which direction this season uh, goes for the Twins. And you said the big word, trust, right? Because every relationship between a coach and a player at any level all has to be based on the ability to, to, to trust that everyone has got the same goal in mind. Right. And, you know, when you have a pedigree, like when I was with the Cardinals, Whitey Herzog came in. Well, Whitey was a very successful manager. So when they said, who's your leader on the team? He said, I'm the leader. I'm the manager. Well, we all looked to Whitey, called it Whitey Ball, and we had a lot of trust. I mean, nobody handled the bullpen better than Whitey. And we had a team that hit 67 home runs as a team, stole 221 bases, won the World Series. And that's what it's going to take from Rocco and his coaching staff to get the trust of the players, there is not that much difference in the talent level when you look from top to bottom in the team. You look at some of your superstars, you only come to bat four times a game. So it's those little things that determine a 4-3 to three win versus a 4-3 to three loss. And, uh, you know, that starts from the top and trickles on down, but trust is a big part of it. As a pitcher, obviously, for so many years, and such a good one, uh, when you would face a team, that was one-dimensional versus a team that could hurt you in a lot of different ways. But I think you'd prefer to face that one-dimensional team. And that's my way of talking about offenses that are either built on all or nothing. We see some. That's all they're going to do. If they hit home runs, they win. If they don't, they lose. Versus a team that I think this offense here has a chance to be where they can hit it out of the park. But they're hitting it out of the park because they're big, strong guys with good approach, like a Nelson Cruz, not a guy who's giving up the at-bat just to try to do one thing. Pitching-wise, that, that's a much tougher team to face, isn't it? Well, I think so. I mean, the, the, the one-dimensional free-swinging teams can do some damage with one swing. You know, if a couple men are on, I, I look back at the, uh, the lumber company, the Pirates, when they, <laughs> and, you know, you, you found out I had one game where uh, I, won, I got a win against the Pirates in an hour and 31 minutes because they're not walking. They're anything that's close, so you find out real quickly how you're going to do. And then you can also be taking a shower in the third <laughs> against those guys. But the more difficult teams are the ones, and I'm, I'm eager to see, with all this emphasis on launch angle and power, who is going to be the team that steps up and says, we're going to hit the ball the other way, we're going to hit it against the shift, we're going to manufacture runs, we don't care about the analytics if they say the sacrifice bunt is not important when it means to score a winning run late we're going to do that maybe it'll be the twins that will play that kind of baseball and uh, pleasantly surprise a lot of people the funny thing is everybody talks about that that's 
they, you know, that those part, it's okay to strike out and things of that nature. Nobody needs to steal a base. Best teams in baseball last year, Boston, Cleveland, Houston, fewest strikeouts, the most stolen bases. They still managed to score a lot of runs. And, oh, by the way, they had the best starting pitchers on the planet too. So it's funny how some of those things that were important then, they're still important now uh, for teams that are really good. Well, they certainly are. I mean, there are to the Yankees win their game. They have a band box of a ballpark at home, and particularly in the right center. And they win a high percentage of their games by hitting a lot of home runs. That's, yeah, that's that's what they do. But, uh, no, I think that it's still it starts with pitching. And in a perfect world, you'd have solid starting pitching. But the Yankees would be a good example looking at them. Brian Cashman has loaded up that bullpen. Because we're not, we being the industry of baseball, are not developing enough starting pitchers that go deep into games. You can go from little league right up to high school. I mean, give me two innings, three innings, and you're done. So that's going to put even more emphasis on putting a real strong bullpen together. Yeah, we've seen the change, and uh, it is uh, it is something to behold the way some of those bullpens have come together. I want to shift gears altogether. I want to talk about 1969. It was a little while ago, uh, but anniversary this year of uh, a, a team that I think probably gets overlooked in Twins history. We talked about 65, and deservedly so. You were part of an incredibly special group. The first team, obviously, 87-91, get their just desserts. This was the first team to play in a divisional playoff format ever. In 1969, you guys fell in an amazing couple extra inning games for the Orioles in that series. But when I say 1969, what's the first thing that jumps into your mind about that group? Well, I think what you just mentioned is the uh, the first divisional series and the fact that those first two games may still stand as two of the best playoff games ever. I mean, we had a uh, Dave Boswell, Jim Perry did a great job pitching. We had a chance to win both of them. We lost two in extra innings and the Orioles had such a such a solid team and I think we were odds on favorites to win the division you know the Oakland guys were coming you could see Rudy and Bando and Campaneris they were on their way but they weren't there yet so those first two years uh, we were hard to beat in the division and we just couldn't get to couldn't get over the hump but I think that's what I think of with the uh, actually I, I think back to the 67 team which was more of a heartbreaking year for us but uh, our team changed from the power hitting days of Harmon in '65 and '66, and then all of a sudden we came uh, we became a different type of team. But '69 uh, uh, w- was uh, was a satisfying year to win the division because it was the first ever. But disappointing losing those uh, those two tight playoff games. What was it like having been in the league already for quite a while? And it was pretty simple: you win the American League, and then you go to the World Series, and now. Wait, what are these divisions we're playing? How, how, what is this all about? Was that a, a, an adjustment? I mean, it, it, we take it for granted now, but, you know, you were right there when, at the time, that's a major change. Well, it is. I think what it's, what it's emphasized over the years to see how more and more layers of playoffs have been added in the wild card is that uh, the best team is not necessarily going to be the world champion. It's the team that's playing the best at that time in a short series. And, Quite frankly, I I don't like it. I wish they never would have expanded and you still would have had, you know, because it is more difficult to win something over 162 games than it is over five or seven. And so there's a lot more chance. I don't know if you'd want to call it luck, a good bounce here or there in a short series and win it. 
because you never have a chance to recover. You know, you get those same kind of breaks in August during the regular season. You still have six weeks to prove that you are really the best team. So I don't like the diluted playoff system, but uh, it's it's the sports world we live in now. Fans don't watch a complete three-and-a-half-hour game uh, all the time. They they want to see those results quickly, and they want to see excitement in the postseason. And uh, so that's that's what we live with. Always great to catch up with the legendary Jim Cott, who will be back on the airwaves calling Twins games this year. Can't guarantee that he'll still be reporting local volleyball scores from junior highs on a Shakopee radio station as he was back in his day as an active pitcher with the Minnesota Twins when he got his broadcasting start. I also want to remind you to make sure you participate in our What's Brewing competition at Twins Radio. Hashtag Twins Radio and tell us what your favorite part of spring training is when you attend in Fort Myers. What activity do you most look forward to? In the meantime, you can look forward to Three Cuts with Derek Shelton as we wrap up another edition of the Twins Hot Stove Show right here on your home for Twins Baseball. Welcome back to the Twins Hot Stove Show. It's brought to you by Killebrew Root Beer Made in Minnesota. How memories are created, legends are made. We'll be with you every Wednesday right up until opening day between the Twins and the Cleveland Indians. And uh, we appreciate everybody joining us here, not only across our network, but via Facebook Live. And, of course, all of you who podcast us wherever podcast, uh, wherever you get your Twins podcast, uh, you can find us, the Twins Hot Stove Show. Also want to encourage you to participate in our What's Brewing competition. You may end up with a crate of uh, Killebrew Root Beer on your uh, front doorstep, and that's never a bad thing. Let's finish this thing up with three cuts with uh, bench coach Derek Sheldon. And we'll start with this, Derek. You have a longstanding relationship with Rocco Baldelli. Uh, he's a great guy. I think he's going to do big things here. Anybody who's around him for just a, a few minutes feels like they've known him forever. That's his gift, I think, that he has of communication. You have known him closer to forever, so can you tell us one Rocco Baldelli story from when he was a player that maybe Rocco wouldn't be eager to share himself? Well, I think the one thing, when, when I was with Rocco, I was a hitting coach. One of an early conversation Rock and I had was like, he's like, hey, I don't use the hitting coach very much. I mean, he was a veteran player, and he had an unbelievable feel for what he was doing. And I think, you know, the thing that people don't realize is Rocco's maybe one of the better athletes that's played the game in probably the last 15, 20 years. Yeah, he's a freak. He's not good of an athlete. Yeah. And so the fact that he said that, that, that was one of our first conversations. And, you know, if you spend any time with Rocco, there's no maliciousness to him at all. And it was very heartfelt. He's like, you know, you can basically worry about other people. I'm good. It's very refreshing when someone knows himself that way. But also when you're a hitting coach, sometimes you're like, man, I want to help this guy. So that, that was one of the uh, early conversations Rock and I had 10 years ago. Yeah, he is uh, He is some kind of athlete, as you mentioned. And, and again, his communication skills are awfully uh, good in, in a very relaxed way. Uh, it, it, he almost makes you feel like, like like he's counseling you somehow without even trying to, and it's a very comfortable thing. Bill Evers is another guy you have a long track record with, and he's a guy the Twins fans are just going to be getting to know. What can you tell us about him? He was pretty, He's probably someone, you know, it's funny, Rocco and I both played for him, but he's someone who was actually very instrumental in, in my career because I was a very poor minor league player, <laughs> and Bill Evers took the time when he managed me because he knew I wanted to coach to basically help me and help me look at the game from a coach's or manager's aspect while he was managing an A-ball. He was a guy that came back and worked from the Yankees and had already managed in double-A and triple-A and came back and managed a team in A-ball that ended up having Jeter and Mariano on it. And I was fortunate enough to be on that team. Billy took the time during games to explain to me like why he was doing things and what the purpose was and you know what the long-term effect of it was. So he, he was one of the people early in my career that I think saw that when I was still playing that 
I could coach and I wanted to coach. And he took the time to explain, you know, why things were going on. And I, I greatly appreciate it. And I, I'm really excited to work with him. I mean, this is a man that's spent a lot of time in the minor leagues, has managed a lot of minor league games, you know, has spent very little time in the big leagues. And the fact that, you know, he's able to be on our staff and he's able to be here, you know, I know it's, it's a special thing for Rocco because Rocco holds, you know, a special place for him. But it's also very special to me because he's done a lot for me in my career. I'm fortunate that, you know, it's someone that, that I can bounce things off of and we can talk. And, and so uh, excited to, to have him on the staff. Now, minor league team with Shelton, Rivera, and Jeter. Almost seems unfair that all three of those guys yeah, could be. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable that, uh, that those three names will ever be used. In the <laughs> Our final one. It's, uh, it's a question for, for fans. I don't think it starts early enough. Sometimes players say it starts way too early. So final question for you in three cuts, Derek Shelton. Spring training. Too long, not long enough. I think it's just long enough. The one thing about spring training is it's built for pitchers, and that's what we have to realize. And as a hitting coach, it was too long because you get guys that go through cycles of, of starting to swing the bat good, and then they start to struggle, and then they start to swing the bat good. But spring training is built 100% for, for pitchers and for pitchers' programs. And, you know, it could be a little shorter because of the fact that guys do such a good job with off-season training now, and they come in ready to throw, and it's not like – Spring training is not to get in shape. You know, you walk through our clubhouse today, every single guy, every single pitcher is thrown off the mound probably two times. Everybody's ready. But in terms of the actual length for throwing in games and doing that, it's probably just enough time. I mean, if it were five days shorter, it would be fine. But it's nothing that's too extensively long. Well said. Very insightful as always. It's Twins bench coach Derek Shelton. Shelty, have a great camp. We'll see you when you head up north, all right? All right. Thanks, Chris. All right. That's Derek Shelton. He and Jim Cott joining us on this week's edition of the Twins Hot Stove Show. We're pleased to have you with us every week. Brought to you by Killebrew Root Beer. And we'll see you again next week right here on your home for Twins Baseball.